Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. And uh, we are here with you this evening. Uh, again, uh, like last time, uh, well, unlike last time, I hope we don't have any sort of power outage going on so we can actually do this. Uh, I couldn't record the podcast because the computer I used to record has a really bad battery. It's a Mac from like 2009 and the battery uh, will only last like two minutes um, before it dies. So there was just no way around um, doing, <laughs> not doing the podcast anyway. So, um, but yeah, thank you guys uh, for meeting with us on Saturday night. We got Alexander with us already um, hanging out. So Alexander, if there's anything you want to add, you are more than welcome to interact with us and uh, we'll utilize your brain, um, your, your seminarian brain as well on the, on these issues tonight. So um to- Yes, awesome sir. Shirt, by the way, I was going to tell you, I didn't oh. even know, didn't even tell me you got a cool new shirt. Oh, yes. I got this at the Missouri Baptist Convention. Um, I went and, uh, you know, put my email on a Spurgeon College um, iPad and they gave me the shirt in exchange for my email, which is totally, you know, totally worth it to have a another Spurgeon T-shirt in my collection. So it's all good. Awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I uh, I like it quite a bit. I do not have one. I guess I should have. Maybe I should ask them to give me one. I don't know. So yeah. we'll we'll have another convention. They'll be around somewhere that will be around, and you can give them your email too, right? <laughs> you bet. You bet, man. You bet. I will. Yeah. I'll try to do that. Um, I, I I imagine that at some point I'll get an opportunity to get another shirt like that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I hope that tonight our power does not go out like it did um, on Monday. But because of that, we have this opportunity to meet like this. So yes, um, it's outstanding. It's a great way to meet. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. And uh, I want to jump into our topic. I know um, when we were recording last time, we kind of um, had a little bit of a break and we were talking a little bit about critical race theory and some of the research that we've been doing. And, uh, I, I think we're okay to state now that we have had a paper accepted at the international society of Christian apologetics. We got an unofficial announcement of that. I imagine the official one will come out and I don't think we're going to be, uh, um, revealing too much on that. I don't, no one told me that I couldn't say anything. So, uh, but Adam and Travis, and I will be presenting a paper on the importance of apologetics podcasting in Chicago at the end of March. And we're excited about that. And then uh, individually, I'm going to present a paper on um, critical race theory and intersectionality. And that kind of brings me to um, something that I think is important that we address. Um, back in June, we had Tom Buck on and he did make a statement that I think um, after doing a little bit of research, we found it not be 100% accurate. And I want to mm-hmm. address this, and then we'll jump right into the authority of Scripture. But um, on the podcast in June, at about minute 27, um, 40, 45 seconds in, um, during that interview, and it was a really good interview, by the way. I went back and listened to it and was really thankful for him coming on. But yeah. he did make a statement where he said, myself and my grandparents and parents are responsible for murdering uh, MLK. I might as well have taken the rifle and pulled the trigger. And he was saying that uh, Tabidi Anabwile has contended that. Well, we were really fortunate to get an actual quotation from the article 
where Tabidiana Buile um, argues, and the article was written back in August of 2018, and this is the whole quotation of Tabidi, and he said in this article, I don't need all white people to feel guilty about the 1950s and 60s, especially those who aren't who weren't even alive. But I do need all of us to suspect that sin isn't done working its way through society. I do need all my neighbors, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ, to recognize that no sin has ever been eliminated from the world and certainly not eliminated simply with the passage of time and willingness of some to act as if it was never there. If this country will make any significant stride toward freedom, it must have enough courage to at least make clear that Dr. King didn't just die, but was assassinated, murdered, violently killed, and with the approval of far too many in this country, until and unless there is repentance of this amnes and murderous hatred, the country will remain imprisoned to search to search conscience. Until this country and the church learns to confess its particular sins, particularly, we will not overcome the endemic hostility that infects the human soul and distorts human potential. And so um, I appreciate Dr. Buck very much. We were so thankful that he came on. But I believe that when you look at Tabidi Anabwile's full quotation, he's not arguing what was attributed to him. And so, uh, as as I looked at that, I, I just think that it was a misrepresentation of Tabidi Anabwile. Um, not that I agree with everything Tabidi Anabwile has said, but I do want to make sure that he's accurately represented and that we do the best we can, specifically with critical race theory, because it is complex. Um, yeah. Just listen to a great Vody Bakum, um sermon or presentation on this, and it's a complex issue. And so... While Tabidi has been one who has kind of fallen on the critical race theory side, it's still important that we accurately represent what he has to say. And, and too often, I think we have people talking back, uh, past each other. And so my paper is uh, certainly a hope that we're not talking past each other, that we're dealing with first uh, or primary sources and also representing people accurately because they are brothers in Christ. And just because I don't accept all the tenets of critical race theory, or do I believe that it is a useful tool? I still want to recognize that it's brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not just going to throw the label of cultural cultural Marxist on them and then discount everything they have to say. And so, just wanted to make sure that I got that clarified, yeah. and I think that that's an important thing for us to 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 deal with. So, yeah, yeah, yes. and I just you know, it's it's basically thankful to a person that uh, watches and listens to the podcast that's involved with us uh, that you know caught that um, and yeah. let us know too. So um, we're thankful for feedback. So if you guys hear anything on our episodes with any interviews, anything that we say um, that's not quite you know hitting right you know uh get at us you know ask us to clarify or the person to clarify you know this is kind of the uh, approach of of uh you know church discipline is the first thing is if you got a problem um hit it straight on with the person you know you do it you know <laughs> instead of uh waiting for somebody else to do it um not just uh see something say something in a um kind of a lazy way but um 
please, uh, we want your encouragement. We want your rebuke. Um, that's how we do things um, as the church that Christ is building. So um, thankful for that. Um, thanks, Dave, for uh, looking into that and uh, bringing us up to speed on uh, something that is on our podcast that is going to be listened to. Hopefully, you know, the person that listens to that podcast now can get to this podcast and listen to the clarification um, on the issue. So, um Thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, again, from here on out, if you guys hear anything, let us know. Um, we'll clarify any sort of positions or uh, repent of where we're wrong. So we are infallible yeah. people and uh, we are affected by sin, um, not just in our wills, but, you know, in our intellects and all things are affected by sin. And that brings us to our issue this evening. Um, definitely we wanted to talk about the authority of scripture. So to preface that, um, you know, we've been talking about the sufficiency of scripture. Um, we talked about the purpose or perspicuity of scripture with Jonathan Hannah, and we will get back to uh, talking about that issue again, just Dave and I, have, as we've been doing this. Um, but tonight we want to tackle uh, authority of scripture. And again, this is all kind of uh, coming to a head. Dave again has a debate uh, in you said January 6th, right? We've moved the date to January 6th. Yes. So yeah, um, that'll give to, us all a little yeah, more I'll, time to promote it. And, yeah, yeah, and I'll get, I'll get all that uh, event stuff uh, settled with uh, Facebook and all that kind of stuff so we can get that information out there. But anyway, we're having this debate on inerrancy um, in January. And so we wanted to utilize these last little episodes of the year to talk about, you know, what scripture is. So that um, whenever you guys that listen to the podcast, uh, you know, if you guys get involved with the debate, listen to the debate because we'll end up having it posted um, as a podcast. Uh, you'll know our position um, even more about what infallibility is, what the nature of scripture is, because that'll take you into the debate with a greater knowledge so that um, you're not uh, so, um, I guess, hit in the face with a lot of terminology and, and jargon and stuff like that um, going into that. So uh, tonight's the authority of scripture. And. Uh, you know, we we hit um, some things a little bit backwards, um, you know, the sufficiency of scripture, clarity, um, those kind of things. Uh, but at the same time, we need to realize um, this is not a linear argument. So you don't have, say, uh, the authority of scripture, um, which then uh, causes this next one, which causes this next one. These are a, this is a chainmail argument. They all come together. So this is that Vantillion, as uh, John Frame coined uh, the name for it. Uh, which would be multi-perspectival, or we could say multi-faceted, as I've used the um, the imagery of a diamond, where you have the facets of the whole diamond. Um, you have like you can look at one facet and look how beautiful it is, but you can't really realize the fullness of that facet without considering all the other facets of the whole diamond. So when we're talking about the nature of Scripture and these attributes, uh, we can't divorce them from each other. Without one of them, they all go away. So. Um, you know, what do you have to say on the authority of Scripture, Dave? Yeah, so one of the things that I think is really important, and just jumping back to what we just talked about, one of the reasons that we want to clarify things and we want to accurately represent people is because we do submit to the reality that God has called us to be truthful. Um, mm -hmm. Inherent in God's nature is the reality, as it says in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that, that God cannot lie. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it's impossible for God to lie. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we base our understanding of reality on the presupposition that God has spoken and God has accurately revealed himself to human beings. Mm -hmm. And when we, uh, when we submit to that reality, 
and we use the term, the authority of Scripture, I think that Wayne Grudem provides what I believe is just a, a quintessential definition for the authority of Scripture, where he says, the authority of Scripture means that all the words of Scripture are God's words in such a way so as to disbelieve or to disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything that God has said in Scripture is His, right? Yeah. In other words, when He has spoken because of His nature, uh, we are going to accept that, and to not accept that is to call God a liar, essentially. Um, And finally, we know that God is going to speak true things, and here's the beautiful picture. As Christians, we have the revelation of God, and we can trust that. Um, I love what Bonson says in um, Presuppositional Apologetics Explained and Defended, where he says, we are under obligation to submit every facet of our lives to Scripture In other words, Scripture is to have the sole and infallible authority over us. Now, Mm -hmm. here's the thing that you'll see a lot of times and something that we're going to continue to deal with. And if you've listened to the podcast or watched the live feed in the past, you know that we've interacted with individuals that have called themselves Christians. I Mm -hmm. always think very much of the venues and our discussion that we had a little over a year ago. Many liberal denominations or liberal Christians will state, well, yeah, uh, the Bible is God's word. Yeah, that's cool. And they'll tip their hat to that idea. And so at least on some level, they'll submit to the authority of God's word, but only so much as they believe their autonomous mind and their logical free will will allow. And so too often we see in apologetics, this idea that if we can present the right logical information and we can get the right stuff out there, the right evidence out there, then someone in their own free will and their own free mind will be able to accept that. But that's not where God starts. And that's not where scripture starts. I mean, over and over again, we can see that this is not the case. And so it's really important. And just to quote from chapter seven of the Institutes, um, One of the things that Calvin, in his chapter, talking about Scripture and its authority, he says in chapter 7 that the authority of Scripture is not derived from men, but Mm -hmm. from the Spirit of God. Um, In other words, we would be, we could reject the authority of God's Word, and God's Word would still be true. Yeah. And it would still be authoritative. Yes. And so, you know, whenever we get into this, you know, let's uh, just to kind of reiterate uh, Wayne Grudem again, says the authority of Scripture means that all words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that is to to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or or to believe or disbelieve God. And so, you know, just when we're thinking about it, you know, um, just kind of skipping ahead real quick, we'll come back, um, you know. We're an apologetics podcast. You're going, you know, this is a lot of doctrine. This is a theological issue. And yes, it is a theological issue. And um, we'll stand right there with James White and other people that, you know, that would stay that would say your theology will determine your apologetics. So we have to root ourselves in 
theology, a word on God in God's word. And so um, let's go down to this, uh, according to this Van Til quote, um, we'll come back to it, but I want to start, I want to go go here uh, real quick in our notes. Um, but uh, uh, Cornelius Van Til in his defense of the faith um, says, for better or for worse, the Protestant apologist is committed to the doctrine of scripture as the infallibly inspired final revelation of God to man. This being the case, he is committed to the defense of Christianity as a unit. So like what I just said before, this uh, multi-perspectival nature, this multifaceted nature, Christian theism is a unit. One thing falls, everything goes. And especially when it comes to scripture, if God has not spoken and revealed himself, um, especially in light of what's in the scripture about man, it makes no sense. God is a liar. Um, We are then an authority and then we have no clue to go anywhere. So, you know, so he says, Uh, This being the case, he is committed to the defense of Christianity as a unit. For him, theism is not really theism unless it is Christian theism. The Protestant apologist cannot be concerned to prove the existence of any other God than the one who has spoken to men authoritatively and finally through Scripture. And so, you know, I wanted to get to that real quick. You know, it's not just me. Uh, it's not just uh, just random people or me and Dave here. You know, this is standing in a long line of theologians who have uh, got into scripture, um, got into what are the problems in apologetics. And whenever it comes down to um, problems in apologetics, you know, whenever we are standing in the front lines and we're defending the faith uh, with people, that means something. That means the world thinks these things about scripture. These world, The world thinks these things about God, and we need to counteract that. But then again, whenever we think about the Reformation and what happened there, worldly things, you know, Aristotelian logic came in, other worldly philosophies crept in, and they were utilizing these worldly philosophies to explain scripture. They became the lens Again, this is where we get into that CRT idea. They became the lens that then we look at Scripture and then come to a conclusion. Instead of the other way around, we've got to start with God. And that's why authority is very, very, very important. And so, um, you know, it's baked into a historical. You get This is not uh, anything esoteric. I know presuppositionalism comes up on the scene um, a little bit later, unless if you actually read um, like Calvin, because he starts out with presuppositionalism in his institutes anyway, even though maybe in practice apologetics wasn't, um, you know, practically the way that we're doing it now. It was still the way things were done, because if you think about the institutes, it was a very presuppositional document. Uh, document um from the get-go and he, and that's calvin defending um the faith once and for all delivered to the saints yeah right on man and and again just to quote from calvin once more because um cornelius van Til didn't just show up on the scene or bonson didn't just show up on the t- on the scene and say oh hey presuppositional apologetics again quoting from chapter seven of the institute Um, This is what Calvin writes, hence the highest proof of scripture is uniformly taken from the character of him whose word it is. Mm -hmm. The prophets and the apostles boast not their own acuteness or any qualities of which to win credit to speakers, nor do they dwell on reason, but they appeal to the sacred name of God in order that the whole world may be compelled to its submission. So in other words, we are starting with the Again, presupposition that the words of Scripture are God's words. Why? Because that's what they claim. Uh, Again, as has been pointed out by numerous theologians, we see 
in the Old Testament, the statement, thus says the Lord, like over and over again, hundreds of times that statement or if it's equivalent shows up. And just to give a little historical context, whenever one of the prophets would say, thus says the Lord, they were um, using a formulaic expression that would be articulated by someone who was a messenger from the king. And uh, the equivalent to that would be, thus says the king. And when that type of statement was put forward, the idea was that was the very word of the king and therefore the authority of that king had to be recognized as coming through the messenger and scripture presents that over and over and over again in other words when a prophet spoke saying thus says the lord they were um saying not only that this came from the lord but that it was in fact his words itself and so um there's not only multiple instances in the Old Testament of the prophet saying thus says the Lord but there were uh numerous times even in scripture where God would say write this down we think about <laughs> Jeremiah and God dictated to Jeremiah what it was to say and so it's really important that we recognize that when scripture speaks about itself it says that it's coming from God. This is all over the concept of the prophets in the Old Testament, but then we can jump forward a little bit and see how Jesus recognized that. Um, not only Jesus, but even the Gospels and the Gospel authors. You don't have to go very far into the New Testament. In fact, on the very first page of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, Matthew would write, um, very clearly that what the Lord has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, right? So the yeah. New Testament authors are also representing the word of God as has been written by the prophets, as has been spoken. The claim of scripture is that it is from God. Um, go to Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus is tempted, he says every um, over and over again, every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He's quoting Deuteronomy, Matthew 19, verse 5. Jesus, again, is attributing what was written by Moses in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And he's saying uh, very clearly that God has said, and if you look at the narrative there, um, the narrative that is being quoted from it is not actually a word that is a direct quote from from God. It's Moses's writing, but Jesus is attributing that to God Himself. Uh, so it, it's really important that you see that. Um, that's of course Jesus pointing back to the um, to the narrative in Genesis chapter two. Uh, jumping forward a little bit into Acts uh, chapter two on the day of Pentecost, um, Peter is preaching and he quotes the prophet Joel. And he says, uh, in quoting what was spoken by the prophet Joel, he's noting that God has declared, God has declared what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And so we can see that this idea that scripture came from God, that what scripture said about itself was from God is something that the prophets uh, in the Old Testament Got grabbed onto that when they said, thus says the Lord. The authors of the Gospels noted that what was spoken through the prophets was from God. Jesus quoted the Old Testament, noting that it came from God. Peter in sermons said it was from God. 
Um, and so it, it's a very important element, element that we have to recognize that Scripture says this about itself. I uh, want to jump real quick, Adam, if it's okay, oh, to, to Second Peter chapter 1, mm-hmm. uh, verse 21. And uh, one reason I, I like to go here is because Peter, in writing his epistle, is pointing out real clearly um, that Scripture came from God. Look what he says there in verse 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Real important element is that Peter is attributing scripture to God and to the Holy Spirit. And so what scripture says about itself is that it comes from God. And that's clear all over the place. So when we state uh, at the outset of our program that all the words in scripture are god's words we're saying that not because we're so smart but because that's what scripture says about itself right Mm -hmm. oh yes and then i mean it just all comes down to you know does jesus get what he wants in his prayer Whenever he prays, does he get what he wants as he's praying uh, according to God's will? And so um, we get to, uh, you know, John 17, the, you know, the night um, that he was getting ready to be betrayed and have all this stuff happen. Um, the gospel uh, acted out. And, you know, what does he pray for? He prays that all his that his apostles that he chose, um, that he that God has given him, that he has uh, kept um, un- underneath the word of God, um, that he prays that they would be sanctified in what, Dave? They would be sanctified in truth. And, and that's another Why? key component. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about this, about scripture being God's word, Jesus is praying that the disciples would be sanctified in truth, uh, that God would sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is pointing to the fact that, and when he spoke about your word, he was speaking about the Old Testament very directly in that. And he was saying that it was trustworthy, but not just that it was kind of trustworthy, that it was the ultimate weighing mechanism by which anyone could understand what was true. And so God's word is uh, over and over again testifying that. I love uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 16, where Peter is writing about Paul, and he talks about how people will twist the writings of Paul as they do with all scripture, therefore implying very clearly that the epistles were were like the other scripture, that they were also uh, God-breathed, as as Paul would write in 2 Peter 3.16. And so Peter is attributing that very nature of God's written revelation revealed to his people as being from him and being the ultimate standard. And so it's very, very important. And again, uh, just to further this a little bit more, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18 Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Deuteronomy, and then he turns around and he quotes from Christ and calls both of those passages scripture. Um, To carry that along just a little bit further, um, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, specifically, he says, uh, to the rest I say, not the Lord. Uh, Very interesting element. Now, that needs to be taken into context what uh, Peter had, what what Paul is doing. He's correcting the church very clearly there. 
and he is making sure, and, and after this, by the way, he would write in 1 Corinthians 14.37, he would write, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command from the Lord. Now, some people have taken what uh, Peter or what Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 7 and tried to say, see, Paul didn't believe that he was writing scripture. Actually, the reality is that Paul had a knowledge of, and this is a beautiful picture, Paul had this awesome knowledge of everything that Jesus had said uh, in a, in the, at least in the form that we have it, because Peter is addressing singleness and he's addressing um, whether a married Christian, a guy becomes a Christian and his spouse doesn't accept Christ, whether they should leave that person or not. And Paul's simply saying, Jesus didn't speak about this. So I'm sharing it with you. And then later on in the book, he says, basically, again, uh, I am writing you a command from the Lord. And so Peter knew, Paul knew what he was writing was indeed scripture. He had a working knowledge of it. And I believe that when we come to this position, uh, that the words of scripture are God's words, the evidence and the weight of scripture is, is unparalleled. Um, and so we can, we can see it all over the place. Um, if, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, the first major point, you know, that we've been discussing is that all the words in Scripture are God's words. And so whenever you think about, uh, for, I guess it's 2 Timothy uh, 3, the 16. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. So whenever we think about, um, we're talking about all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so that word inspired there, Day, that's the word theanustas, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. And, um, so, and, and we're talking about God breathing. Yes, and you've seen in more modern translations, they don't use the word inspired. In, yeah. in the more modern translations, you'll see the, the God-breathed element. And part of that is because the word inspired has kind of taken on a, a slightly different yeah. connotation. And so um, God breathed is more, is more, um, is a more direct translation there. And so um, what we want to really call out in this idea, at least for me, is that um, when God says that it is his word, when God uh, gives us clear understanding of that claim, um, we don't need to try and and weigh it out through another mechanism. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Oh yeah. In other words, um, when God says it and He tells us through Christ Jesus that it is the truth, um, the way we evaluate Scripture isn't according to its historical reliability mm -hmm. or the um, or the ability for our mind to come to some logical conclusion about that. In yeah. other words. It's the ultimate authority because it comes from God. Yeah. And therefore, to try to weigh something against Scripture, to try to prove Scripture's validity, is a false method and not a consistent method by which anyone in Scripture would have ever weighed out God's Word, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. being, and so, yeah, to, to go out to the next book, because I mean, I think we did a really good job. We, we should all understand that, you know, scripture is God's words. And I mean, apologetically, you know, to, to, to add to uh, this um, thing that, you know, we're talking about authority here. We're talking about ultimate 
authorities. And so whenever we're talking about an ultimate authority, he says so, it is so, therefore it's so. Um, we're caught in this uh, sort of circular argument. And, uh, you know, that's what usually comes up um, in apologetical debate or just informal dialogue. Um, whenever you're talking about, well, the Bible says so, um, we get somebody going over here going, you know, well, you can't just say the Bible says so, therefore it's so, you know, the premise um, is in the conclusion and stuff like that. But, you know, this is where we need to really think about um, worldview. This is where we need to think about, you know, what's going on. Um, we have just set back and we have presupposed things unconsciously. And so, um, you know, we, we are given information by experts and we just believe it. If we're not, say, a, an astrophysicist, we go, hey, here's the expert. I just trust that's called faith for one. And so we all have faith. We all um, have these things that we're doing now, the atheist or agnostic or, you know, the non-Christian um, in that sense is always going to be like, well, you're saying the Bible. Well, we got to um, put the, we, we've got to um, understand what the Bible says um, and, or what the Bible is um, scientifically or whatever. Um, so we're making this authority claim and, all authority claims are going to be circular. And so we need to realize that, you know, circular argumentation um, is valid by definition. The conclusion follows the premise. Um, but the thing is, is what makes our case not viciously circular is the fact that God is all knowing. Um, he is all powerful. You know, he's got all these uh, infinite attributes. And so basically when it comes to the presuppositional approach, it's the impossibility, the contrary that makes it not fallacious. This is an ultimate thing. Um, I think Saiten Brigenkate uses, you know, if somebody were to ask you if you were strong, you said yes, then you used your own body to lift a weight to prove that you're strong. That's a, that's ultimately uh, an illustration of circularity. You say you're strong, therefore you're strong. No outside, um, I guess, no outside approach is determined if you are strong, you know, by independent uh, varial, variables. Um, so whenever we're coming to this authoritative thing, you know, we need to understand that uh, we come from an enlightenment culture um, that says that we are trying to reach up to God. Um, the big thing about scripture is, though, it presents a God that is condescended. Um, we are finite creatures, um, not only finite creatures, but after the fall, we are sinful creatures. We are affected totality or in our totality by sin, not just our wills, but by our intellect and everything else we do is tainted by sin. And so there's going to be some sort of block when it comes to trying to ascend to God. Well, for one, we don't want to ascend to God as he really is. We want to maybe make up something. And that's why whenever we get into Romans one, again, they had made um, creatures and worship creatures. They worship the created instead of the creator uh, kind of motif. So whenever we ascend ourselves and try to transcend our minds above things, and especially when you get into Kantian philosophy, you've got to make room for faith. You can't make any objective statements about it. You can't know it. You can, you can't really prove anything outside of your own head in a way. Um, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a God who has condescended and made himself known. He has spoken and he has had his words committed to writing. Um, we see that as a testimony in all of scripture, he told Moses to write. Um, he told other people to write. Um, we get to Revelation. He said, write. Um, so God wants his word 
written so that it could be inscripturated and then handed on to um, until he ends up sending Christ um, to initiate the, you know, the consummated kingdom. So I just wanted to make sure, I guess that was a good point to iterate that. Um, so whenever it comes to God being the authority, then if he has condescended, if he has spoken, if he has written things to where we can read them, for one, and that we can know what he has said. Um, if they are authoritative, then we go down to the next point. You know, therefore, to believe or disobey uh, any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Yeah, and that's where the real issue of authority occurs today in our mm-hmm. modern culture. Not only do we see it in liberal Christian circles, we also see it in methods of apologetics. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problematic position and something that you and I strive to address, but something that needs to be well understood. Um, for example, when the liberal Christian says, well, God couldn't have said that because it was hateful. Yeah. So when they say, well, I don't like, I don't like the Canaanite, um, the, uh, the Canaanite attacks, right, that occur in the Old Testament, or I don't like the idea that God has spoken about homosexuality being sinful. Um, Number one, you don't understand the character of God because he is unchanging. Further, you don't like the clear revelation of God, therefore you reject the authority of it. So to give God the authority that he is due is to submit to everything that he has said, understanding it in its proper context, and likewise, the proper genre in which it's written. Um, so when I when I deal with that, like one of the things that just I want to drive the fact home is when you state, well, yes, God's word says that here, but I don't like it, but I'm still a Christian. You're saying that God doesn't have authority to speak. And therefore, if you haven't granted God the authority to divide, to, to define sin, how have you granted God the authority or the same reliability to trust him to save your soul in Christ Jesus? And therefore, you are acting very inconsistent. Um, I know you've got your um, covenantal apologetics right beside yeah. you there, Adam. Um, go ahead and read that um, second principle that uh, Oliphant puts forward, because I think it, it's really, really good. I've got it in front of me, but um, you're the one who pointed my mind to it yeah. there. Um, so if, if you if you've got a good a good spot to to, to read it, uh, read oh, yeah, it. Yeah, real yeah, quick yeah. And just you know, yeah. to let you guys know, this is Covenantal Apologetics by Scott Oliphant. He is the systematic theology and, and a uh, theology per, systematic theology and apologetics professor at Westminster Seminary. He lived with Van Til um, while he was going through some schooling there um, back in the day. So you know, we've got a guy that's been around and lived and breathed uh, Van Til. Vantillion work anyway, but he wrote this really awesome book. He's championing not just presuppositional apologetics, but the fact that um, this presupposes reformed theology. So it's covenantal apologetics. So that's what the name is. That's why I have applied uh, the moniker to, you know, what what I am as an apologist is a covenantal apologist. But anyway, in his book, he states uh, 10 tenets of presuppositional or covenantal apologetics. And uh, number two, he says that God's covenantal revelation is authoritative by virtue of what it is. And any covenantal Christian apologetic will necessarily stand on and utilize that authority in order to defend Christianity. So, you know, 
as far as you know, it's authoritative by virtue of what it is. And it's one thing um, whenever you read Van Til's defense of the faith um, there, you know, he says that to uh, talk about scripture and to uh, defend the authority of scripture, it's in essence, the same argument of defending the existence of God. Uh, just to jump in on that concerning <laughs> the idea of to disobey scripture is to disobey God right on but it's also to reject and demonstrate that you have elevated yourself, mm -hmm. your uh, judgments, your reasons to a higher position than that of God. Yeah. And, and this goes a real problem. Yeah. And this goes right to again, Genesis three. So, you know, we've talked about on the show before, you know, we live in a Genesis three world. So there were still two chapters before that, um, but we get to Genesis three. This is where we have to stay. This is where we get, um, you know, this is, this is the problem with the world. And so what happened um, whenever um, Eve is in the garden, um, you know, the serpent's talking to her, you know, again, we've talked about how pink kind of um, sort of points out the fact that it almost picks up mid conversation um, between the serpent and Eve talking like, you know, possibly the serpent uh, came up to the fruit um, took a bite and started talking and, you know, who was the only, um, creature, um, given, given the, the, uh, gift of vocabulary and speech would be only humans. Uh, man would be the only ones. And so she'd probably be going like, Whoa, this Adam, this animal just ate this fruit and started talking to me. And now he's wise. And so, you know, it's very persuasive, um, and, and approach. So, you know, he's a crafty creature. Um, Genesis says, and, um, so he's talking to her like, did God really say is the big thing and is still um, relevant today. Did God really say um, is the approach? This is what um, liberal theologians are going to throw your way. Does that, is that what it is that what God really said? Um, and so, you know, we still see how Genesis three is still relevant today. This is why we need to understand um, as much as we can about the fall of man, the nature of man after the fall, um, what happened. And so what happened there is Eve um, was was you know, Satan put even this uh, position to question God's authoritative word. All she had to do was if she had in her finiteness, all she had to go is like, you know, I'm having trouble remembering what he said, let me be right back. Let me uh, call call on God real quick just to make sure. But no, no, no. She took it upon herself to go, you know what? It looks good. I bet you it's good for food. I bet you it's good for knowledge. Hey, this serpent possibly started talking because it ate the fruit. Um, looks like uh, this guy might know what he's talking about. I'm going to make the moral decision. I'm going to put this upon myself that I know um, better for myself than God does. And, you know, God's withholding stuff from me, you know, so it started this whole questioning and that is exactly, um, you know, the word of God being disobeyed. Um, and so basically disobeying the word of God is disobeying God himself. Yeah, right on. Uh, with that said, I want to move into that next element. Mm -hmm. That is that uh, scripture is true. Um, here's where we have a, a pretty serious point in my mind that needs to be made. Um, we root our understanding of the authority of Scripture in the character and nature of God. I, I kind of mm -hmm. bumped on this a little bit, but we see David in 2 Samuel 7.28 writing that you are God and your words are true. 
Um, again, Paul would write in Titus 1-2 that God never lies. Um, and of course, in Hebrews, I believe Paul would preach that it's impossible for God to lie. In other words, since the Bible is God's word, we recognize it as the ultimate standard of truth. I love what Grudem states. The Bible is God's word, and God's word is the ultimate definition of what is true and mm -hmm. what is not true. God's word is itself true. Thus, we are to think of the Bible as the ultimate standard of truth, the reference point by which every other claim of truthfulness must be measured. Um, we know because of God's nature that he's not going to mislead us. He's not going to say things to us that are not accurate. And when we take that presupposition and we point it to science, to history, we will find that God and a good understanding of science and of history and of worldview is only based in what God has said. Um, when we go somewhere else for that, we are not, we are again questioning God's character. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just, that's Van Tilly, you know, he says, uh, um, thus the Bible as the infallibility, the infallibility, infallibly inspired revelation of God to sinful man stands before us in light uh, in as before us as that light in terms of which all at all facts of the created universe must be interpreted all of finite existence, natural and redemptive functions in relation to one all inconclusive plan that is in the mind of God, whatever insight man is to have into this pattern of the activity of God, he must attain by looking at all his objects of research in the light of scripture. So, you know, Van Til is a big thing. You know, there's no necessary, there's no brute facts. Facts are what God has created them to be. And so whenever we look at science, you know, the scientific method, you know, a lot of people put this religion and science, they pit them against each other. That is a fallacious thing because science has to be rooted in something and we know because of the promises of god whenever we uh, look at uh, the noahic covenant and uh Genesis Genesis 8, um, whenever he says, basically, the uniformity of nature is going to stand until the end of time. And as long as the earth remains summer, um, winter, heat, cold, you know, these will all have their time. And so we know that there's uniformity of nature. That's the major assumption of science. They can't prove it. Um, they, you know, if you take God out of the mix, now you're in an autonomous uh, reasoning position to go well the future is going to be like the past because of the past you're stuck in a circle anyway so um uh, whenever you get into the covenantal apologetics that's what he starts out with you know he uh, scott was talking about how he um, was at a conference um and he's with these kantian folks you know again you kind of just make room for faith here's the here's this world over here here's this realm over here we can't really do much with this uh, metaphysical realm we might posit something about it but you can't really know it um basically just everything's opinion there um very platonic in a way to the realm of ideals um you know and so you know he's he's around these people and they kind of hit him on this like you know it's the authority of scripture um that's circular isn't it and we have to admit you know this is one of those things for better or for worse we have to admit circularity here and so you know which circular are you going to join are you going to join god's um omniscience 
or your finitude. Which one do you want? Um, one's going to lead you to knowledge and actually have a basis for knowledge. Um, the other one's going to lead you to absurdity. Um, as long as you're, and whenever you become self-conscious, you'll, you'll, and that's only by the Holy Spirit anyway, that you become self-conscious about your absurdity, um, which is sin and consistency is basically sin. Um, we're not consistent with God's will, his word, we're in sin. Um, and I would yeah. say that this is where you begin to see the application of God's revelation concerning our human finitude and the propensity that we have towards sin. Mm -hmm. God's word gives us a recognition that we can't base our understanding of what is true on our human autonomy yeah. or upon what science says mm -hmm. or what history says. We must base our understanding, our worldview lens on God's revelation because there is a evaluating standard that is unchanging, that is mm -hmm. timeless, and that is proven true and will time and again. So if we're evaluating what God says according to our human autonomy, we don't know if we can get it right or wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And therefore, this finds its connection really clearly with the reality of God's inerrant word. So God's word is authoritative because it's internally linked to his nature. Yes. And therefore we know certainly that it is a it is 100% true. Um, exactly. And I mean, the thing is, is it becomes our presupposition. Um, if we yes, have to declare it, that, if, if it has to be on us. So this goes against, you know, um, whenever we're talking about the, the confession. Um, when we're talking about those kind of things, you know, this is going against Roman Catholics. They were still autonomous. Um, you know, so it's speaking of that time and speaking of this time of, of uh, our autonomy science. Again, we need to recognize historians tell history. History is not a brute fact. It is told. Yeah. Um, you know, and then uh, science. Uh, the, again, this is one of the, the one of those things that I'll take from Frank Turk. He's right here. I'll, when a man's right, a man's right. I'm not a big fan of his approach <laughs> of apologetics. Uh, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of uh, conclusions that he makes that I'm just like, no, 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 no. But whenever he says that science doesn't say anything, scientists do. We still need to recognize you've got a circle. You've got naturalism. You're proving naturalism to get naturalistic results. Um, you cannot use naturalism to prove supernaturalism. It's just antithetical. So from the very beginning, you have not, you're not going to find what you want to find if you, so again, you're using, you're utilizing this world over here that can't prove this world by definition. Same thing that people do with miracles. Miracles can't happen because miracles can't happen. Like uh, Dave said earlier, the liberal theologian saying that, you know, God can't speak. Well, because I said so, you know, God said can't speak because he can't speak. Right. You know, these are these kind of claims. Um, so, again, we're, we're stuck in that circle versus circle thing. Again, from Calvin in chapter seven of the Institutes, he writes, enlightened by him, we no longer believe either on our own judgment or mm -hmm. that of others that scriptures are from God. but in a way superior to human judgment, feel perfectly assured as much so 
as if we beheld the divine image visibly impressed on it, that it came to us by the instrumentality of men from the very mouth of God. For we ask not for proofs or probabilities on which to rest our judgment, Mm -hmm. but we subject our intellect and judgment to it as to transcendent for our estimate. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, I just love how clear it is in this reformer's writings that our understanding of God's authority and our understanding of the truthfulness of God's word isn't based upon our judgment or on the church's judgment, but it's based on our understanding of who God is and the scriptures that behold God. Yeah. So so, again, this is that condescension. This is the presupposition that makes the predicate intelligible. And and here's one of the things that I would state, and I think it's something that will have people state, you know, this is an argument that kind of rests in the back of people's heads. Well, Well, then what if there's a finding in history or in science that contradicts the Bible? The reality is that that, that can't happen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have to deal with it. You know, you can. We like to live in hypothetical worlds all the time. We're trying to find a loophole in God and His Word and His plan. And so you can think about these things all day, but until they happen, I'm just going to be like, no, right? Um, You know, and the thing is, the the then the answer from the apologist should be like, well, by what standard? (laughs) You know, like how was it proven, and by what standard was it proven to be contradictory? Well, whenever there is some new fact. Right, yeah, that science reveals, and I love how Ted Cable deals with this in his book, The Controversy of the Ages. And he says, Well, we go back and evaluate scripture, and if we understood it rightly, does that make sense? Yeah, and we can get scripture wrong, mm-hmm. but God's not the one who's wrong. Our understanding is what is wrong. That's the beauty of the authority of God's word. Yeah, and that's that's from Scripture itself. You know, let God be true, though every man a liar. Yeah. So again, it's that uh, presupposition uh, of all predication issue. You know, God is true. It's the presupposition of everything. So you know, so what? You know, if somebody, even though like as Jonathan Hanna has uh, given us the information uh, in another podcast, you know. Um, so what the church, um, or at least people in the church of the time and the medieval church, um, believe that the earth, you know, is a geo geocentric world and Copernicus found out that we go around the sun. The sun doesn't go around us. Well, guess what? The Bible doesn't say anything like that. Now, could it be taken that way by fallible humans? Yeah. Um, so if science contradicts, uh, the belief of what the person believes the Bible says, Okay, then we reevaluate um, is is our understanding of the Bible, you know, and did they get that from the Bible? And we understand that Rome didn't really care about Scripture to begin with. So there's a lot of problems in that argument, anyway. And well, and again, it was never, as Jonathan said, that was never pronounced ex cathedra. Yeah, and, and let me just note, you know, sin is ultimately irrational. Yeah, and sin makes us think incorrectly about God and yeah. about His Word. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be part of the reality. So that kind of brings us to this last little bit. Uh, the written scripture is our final authority, um, and I want to make sure that that element is is well well understood. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. We could talk about issues of canon. 
and we maybe should do a show sometime on that. But the reality is that because of God's nature, his transcendence, his truthfulness, God, uh, and this is connecting with the necessity, but by necessity, God did reveal himself to us by mm-hmm. our necessity. And because of his nature, he necessarily preserved his word in such a way so that we could understand it and that it would be the ultimate authority over our lives. Yeah. And the only right living or logical living is going to be that in accord to God's word. Yes. And I mean, when it, you know, it's our final authority and there's, there's a few uh, senses even that we could even get into this, but you know, it's our ultimate authority. So like I already said, um, being the ultimate authority, it is circular. God says it is. So whenever God said, let there be light, there was light. It was the way it, it's nature and what it was called, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that is final authority, right? God says, and it is. His word isn't just this merely descriptive thing. It's a creative thing. So there's many things that go in um, with God's word, but then we get into another element, you know, whenever you open up the book of Hebrews and you're talking to a persecuted um, church of uh, people that were coming out of Judaism, that came out of Judaism um, into Christianity. And it starts off long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets um, at different times and different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Um, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making rat- purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so the final authority, what we're talking about here um, in the revelation of Jesus Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in, and also the one that we are supposed to submit our minds to. And this is again, um, destroying arguments, putting every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Um, Redemptive history is sealed now because of Christ. He sat down. He was the final word himself. He gave the final words and he sat down. It's it. It's done. We know all we need to know again, sufficiently, sufficiently by necessity and authoritatively. Dude, uh, couldn't have said any better myself, yeah. Adam. You hit right on, brother. Uh, here's where I find this issue being really well fleshed out. When we sat down with the pastor, if you want to call him that, of the venues, Mm. and we would say, well, God has clearly spoken. He would say, no, no, God hasn't clearly spoken. Ultimately, that is an authority issue. Yeah. See, he understood the language. He understood the ramifications. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to blame the lack of respect and the lack of reverence he held for the authority of God's word on the lack of clarity. And what we find in our society today isn't really that there's this lack of clarity, right? People know mm-hmm. that words have meaning, right? Yeah. Uh, but the reality is they want to blame a lack of clarity. They want to blame a lack of anything. When in reality, it's a lack of giving it its authority. Yeah, and it's, an, it's a lack of anything. Whatever you're going to hit them on is what they're going to be lacking in. So it's lacking in authority at some level. So that's why you have the Roman Catholic Church. You needed the church to define things. You needed the church to be authority because the scripture isn't in and of itself something of value enough to be what binds the conscience of people. Um, in their case, they need to get rid of clarity 
Um, they might be able to, well, it's authoritative in salvation, you know, just whatever Peter Ince and, and those inerrancy guys um, throughout the years have tried to toy with um, to try to get around. But, you know, that's their loophole. And, you know, just it constantly breaks my heart, you know, thinking about that conversation that we had um, that, you know, they do not have um, what Scripture says that they can can have in Jesus Christ. Um, so that's, you know, it's not necessarily that I'm mad at the venues and mad at people that would subscribe to the same ideals. And it's more, you know, like, yes, I'm mad. I think there's a there's a righteous anger to be had. Um, God will not be mocked. Um, in this situation, right. um, but at the same time, as a image bearer that has uh, been marred by sin and has rebelled against God in my life, um, it's sad because you know, just like uh, Paul, whenever he's uh, talking in Romans, how he would, if he could, if it was available to him to do, he would uh, rather be accursed um, for his kinsmen to be That's redeemed right. and saved. You know, if if Paul could be actually Christ for his people, he would. Um, you know, and that's an attitude issue. Um, he had that attitude for his people. So I have this attitude um, for the people like people at the venues. I wish they would hold to these things because they would have everything as second Peter um, one talks about um, everything to live um, in godliness. Um, and scripture is the major part of that. If they just had that, they would understand it, but they're so trying to, have their cake and eat it too. They want Jesus so bad because it's culturally relevant still a little bit. It's starting to go away. Um, we'll see whenever that cultural need for Christ goes away, if they even stay at anything remembering Christ at all, um, or, you know, it'll go either way on, on that. But, you know, they want, um, just like I believe the story of, you know, him, um, whenever we think about Paul and Devin and Devin comes out, you know, or Phil, not Paul, but uh, Phil and Devin, whenever Devin came out in his life, you know, I understand the fact that Phil loved his son and that he didn't want to say anything against his son. I don't want to do that with my kids, but I know that if they don't follow Christ and if they end up hating Christ and keep on rebelling against Christ, I'm going to have to go, well, I still love you but you are wrong and I'm going to have to preach the gospel to you. And in this situation, he didn't want to preach that to his son. He wanted to be able to be nice. Uh, Again, the 11th commandment, we've got to be nice. And let me, you know, I really love um, Edwin Blum's article in the 1980 book, Inerrancy. Uh, In his chapter, he states something that I think is is so important for us. And it's kind of bringing us back full circle. and, Mm -hmm. And I want to do that. But he writes, constant throughout the Old Testament books is the view of the Old Testament as authoritative. To the apostles, the Old Testament scripture was clearly their supreme authority. It was an absolute, not relative authority. They do not attempt to correct it, nor do they seek to put one Old Testament book or saying against another. They assume it speaks with a unified voice. They plainly recognize that the books were written by human authors, but even more explicitly, they maintain that God speaks in and through these writings. Um, We are called to submit to the authority of God's word by God in the Old Testament through the prophets, by God in Christ Jesus, by God through the writings of the New Testament authors. And today we're called anew uh, and afresh to Put our total allegiance to the authority of God's word in our lives. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just kind of like, you know, to, to end things, we just really need to understand, you know, and this is, again, nothing new. This is historical. Um, so you, where the London Baptist Confession would agree with the Westminster, you know, we're talking about time-honored, time-tested doctrine. Um, you know, so, you know, just kind of recap here. I think uh, the, the Confession does really good on these two issues. You know, there's an objective issue and there's a subjective issue that I hope that you guys have uh, really understood from uh, Dave and I fleshing this out. But uh, in Chapter uh, 1.4 of the London Baptist Confession, it says that the authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. And so this is just the exact, the, the fact of the matter. This is the God spoken fact of the matter. Now, there's a subjective issue that we got to deal with, like, you know, we've talked about tonight, you know, so we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church of God to a high and reverent esteemed of the Holy Scriptures. And the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, uh, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof, or arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So, you know, when it comes to the church, you know, this was this document that we're talking about written, you know, against uh, the Roman Catholic belief system. We might be induced by the church to a reverent reverency of scripture, but how did they in practice deal with scripture as the Roman Catholic church? It wasn't Sola Scriptura. They didn't, you know, it ended up being tradition. It ended up being autonomous. And why were they so messed up? Because they did not come to Scripture as their final authority. And Martin Luther and Jan Hus before him, Wycliffe, all those reformer guys proved the fact that they were not operating on Scripture as the final authority. Uh, They're operating on their authority. And no wonder they're messed up. You know, yeah. so you know, we might. So the church plays an important role. We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit indwells His people, and so the Scripture is self-attesting. But then the church also has a part to play in, say, the selection of the canon of Scripture. Um, they recognize documents, and so we can actually see through history how these documents have come into existence, um, utilizing the spirit and dwelt people of God, which is his church, not Rome. We've got to, there's two definitions because Rome has messed up what Catholic church means. Um, but we got to recognize that it's a part to play. These are self-attesting, but here, so the, the you know, we got the subjective element um, that we need to understand. So uh, if you guys uh, haven't ever read the London Baptist confession of faith, I'd pray that you please uh, give it, give it a shot. Um, and because it's a, if you're not into big, heavy systematic theologies like this, John frame on my table right here, um, it's a very small way to start getting into um, that sort of thinking. That's a little bit deeper than your average, uh, normal uh, Christian living book. So um, I hope that this uh, episode has been awesome to you. Um, and that uh, we started the conversation about the authority. I hope you've been challenged and exhorted in this. And, uh, you know, this has actually been a really, really good night for me. So, Man, Adam, thank you. And I just want to remind everyone who listens to the podcast, watches the live stream, um, share what we do, like it, 
give us reviews on um, on whatever means it is through which you consume the podcast. And we're just really grateful for the opportunity to get to share this. It's always edifying and encouraging to me to get to meet with Adam tonight, not face to face, but through the fine. phone. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to leave uh, you with uh, one last thing, you know, from scripture itself. And I mean, you're not going to notice, um, you might not notice the whole word thing, but let's, let's just read it. You know, uh, second or yeah, first Peter one, starting in verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into the inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and fading, kept in heaven for you. Which actually, that's not where I wanted to start, but I started. I kept reading it, reading it anyway. It's beautiful. We need to go to Second Peter, one, <laughs> starting in verse three. Um, His divine power has given us everything required. He has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us every or us very great and precious promises. He has spoken. It is written as he is. So this is where you see the word come into play and the authority of that word come into play. By So by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And I want you to understand how the authority of Scripture fits into how you have everything given to you for that life of godliness that God has called you to. So, in the spirit of Augustine, he commands um, what you will, <laughs> and he helps you will uh, what, what he commands. So, you know, with that said, uh, this has been an awesome night of the Tag Your It podcast. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us on a Saturday instead of a Tuesday. And uh, for the people that just download the podcast, uh, thank you uh, for your patience in us getting this podcast to you. And uh, I guess uh, grace and peace with you guys. So with the Tag Your It podcast, I'm Ray Ray. And I am Dave. Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.